Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx Onyx membership. Onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for you. So know where you stand with Onyx. The Defender ST is a brand new micro red dot from Vortex Optics. You need to check it out for this turkey season. I just got my hands on one of these bad boys. It's a three MOA dot, super low profile red dot sight that weighs just 1.5 ounces with the battery. I started running a red dot on my turkey gun a couple years ago. It really helps with sight picture. It helps me stay focused on the target and see exactly what I'm aiming at. So, you know, my shotgun bead's not covering up the whole bird. And it also makes it easier when I'm taking other people who are maybe less familiar with the shotgun. Anyone can pick up a red dot and immediately know exactly how to use it. And I especially like this one because it has a battery runtime of 25,000 hours. This is an ultra durable red dot sight with an anodized aluminum body that protects it against anything that you can throw at it in the turkey woods. And I'm highly abusive to my gear in the turkey woods, so I'm excited to have a, a beefed up, really tough red dot sight like this on my shotgun. Y'all can go check them out at vortexoptics.com. And hey, if you want to order this or any other Vortex product and get a discount, go to midwayusa.com and use the promo code southern for a discount on your order again that's promo code southern for a discount on any vortex product from midwayusa.com survivor 46 is here and so is on fire the only official survivor podcast and we have a twist this season the winner of survivor 45 d Vyadaris, will be joining us every week we're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments the how and the why things happen and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me a survivor winner Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Meadow Creek Mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun. And one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun. I personally have used this mount the last two seasons and it's worked extremely well for me. One thing I personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun, it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun. Also an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try, you can go over to the website meadowcreekmounts.com and use the code SOUTHERN at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. All right, day two at the NWTF convention, and uh, I think this is the third time we've had Mr. Cuz Strickland on the podcast, and somehow I've managed to not be on the other two. 
something was going on. <laughs> yeah, it's so, first time. Cuz, thank you, man, for taking time out of your day to come talk to us again, and I'm glad I could make this one. Yeah, th- well, thanks for asking. You know, my uh, granddaughter, when she was 11 or 12, she, she came to me one day. She said, Pop, if you're not going to be on Instagram, you're not relevant. So I, I enjoy being relevant. So thank you for inviting me up here. I, I appreciate talking to the next wave of hunters. It's 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 uh, it's very enlightening and it's encouraging to me too. So absolutely, man. Well, uh, NWTF convention. It's been probably pretty hectic for you, but uh, you know how how have you kind of seen this event change over the last few years? Oh, look, man. The the first one I went to, it was like gymnasium size. Uh, so it, it's it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and you know and I'm not saying this because we're here it's gotten to be the fun show I have to do so many shows you do all of them shot show archer show the great American whatever this is the one I bring my family to because it's so much fun mm-hmm. and I, I tell people all the time and I've heard you know Will Primos I think said it first he said turkey hunting is a cult he said, everybody knows everybody. <laughs> so I try to stay in the booth as much as I can because there's people come by and whether they've seen you on, you know, television or the old truth videos or social media, they expect you to be there and shake their hand or mm-hmm. sign a hat. And that means, I promise you, it means as much to me as it does to them. But you can tell I've already almost lost my voice after day one. But mm-hmm. it really is a fun <laughs> show. But it's gotten so big and improved so much. And so proud to be a big part of the National Wild Turkey Federation because, buddy, they uh, they walk the walk. They put that money mm-hmm. where it needs to go. So, yeah. honored to be here. Yeah, it's a great organization. I think they just donated, I think it was last year, a couple thousand acres uh, of public land access uh, that they purchased. They donated it to the state of Alabama, Yeah, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this event, I was sitting out uh, where all the fountains and everything are out mm-hmm. here. With, and they got the turkey display, like the lights with the turkeys walking around in the circle. I was yeah. like, this is my kind of place, dude. Yeah. These are my people. That's <laughs> it. There's a, this is our people. Yeah, the, I got two grandkids here, and, and they were looking at that those turkeys walking across like <laughs> the coolest thing ever. You know, so <laughs> it's, a, it's a really, really fun show. It's just it's almost outgrown where it is now. You know, they turned down a lot of exhibitors mm-hmm. and stuff, which – you know, in all the stuff you hear about hunting license sale or flat, we've lost this, we've lost that, which is a lot of that's true. But turkey hunting always seems to keep ticking up a little bit, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of reasons for that. But it's a very special activity. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's something that definitely, you know, I've talked to you about this in the past. You know, I'm very new to uh, turkey hunting compared to both you guys. But, you know, I've got into this really more seriously in the last two or three years just because when I first started growing up, and I've told this, this is probably the third time I've told this story in the last three episodes, we, we hunted turkeys like we hunted deer. You literally yeah. sitting on greenfields on our little family farm, 80 acres, yeah. and you didn't have much area to run and gun or doing that kind of stuff, and you were blind calling, hoping to bring a bird in. And mm-hmm. we saw birds, never was able to kill one. And I killed my first bird last year. It was a Jake in North Carolina, first bird I've ever been able to kill. And I was – you talk about excited. Yeah. I mean, man, it was awesome. But it's like – kind of coming to an event like this and seeing how they put on such a great show and all these people are here that are, you know, all different kind of backgrounds, you know, highly educated when it comes to the tradition of turkey hunting and just to be able to kind of breathe it all in and take some back with me and try to, you know, apply some of the stuff I hear from other guys here, but really just enjoy people's company. And that's why I enjoy it. You know, one thing when we got into the podcasting world, which I told you, you know, you definitely helped us out when we first got started and we really appreciate that. And when we got started, 
you know, I, we want to do this mostly. I wanted to do it for the education purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, I love talking to guys that are way more skilled than me to try so I can learn myself and become a better hunter, better outdoorsman, and just a better person in general. And, you know, one thing that I've noticed after doing this is I just love just meeting new people. Mm-hmm. I mean, because of this podcast, I don't think I would have ever really met you. I might have said hi to you whatever, <laughs> at last, last year's mm-hmm. event, but that would have been it. And all these other people we've met, and it's just, yeah. I, I absolutely love it. It's yeah. just so fascinating. I credit it's, my last turkey season. I had the best turkey season of my life last year. I killed three birds for myself and then called in a few others for other people. And uh, I completely credit that to people on the podcast. Like, people yeah. I interviewed – like I le- I learned so much that I have no doubt that that's what kind of helped me kickstart my season from going and killing like one bird a year to last year I killed three and called in more all yeah. on public land all on public land yeah yeah that's a big public land that's a big deal <clears throat> turkey hunting you know it's a very unique thing and everybody has their their deal and you know I, I wrote uh, one of the chapters in one of the books I I wrote I have a chapter called the magic number. And the magic number is three. Once a guy has killed his third, once he kills his third turkey, you can't teach him anything. He knows it all. <laughs> but you'll you'll learn as you move forward <clears throat> the best weapon, the best call, the best technique, and everything is your brain. And I explain to people all the time what the difference is in a turkey hunter and a turkey killer, and it's all attitude. So, mm-hmm. you know, and going back to the podcast thing, if you're going to remain in this business long, you got to be a people person. You know, because there's there's great stories out there. Mm-hmm. I, that's I'm, I'm going to do. I did a seminar Saturday night at the Mississippi Bow Hunters Banquet, which was huge, packed house. And the first thing I always say is, look, half you guys in here know as much as I do about hunting, and the other half know more. Mm-hmm. I'm going to share with you what I've learned through 35 years of producing TV and all that. That relaxes everybody, and it's a very true statement. You know, the best turkey hunters in the world, you won't ever know who they are. You won't ever meet them. They're not going to be out in the public. They're, oh, yeah. You know, they're around some shady corner in public. But, you know, it is meeting people and getting tips. If you listen, you know, you're going to pick up some stuff. And I've been mm-hmm. blessed to be around those people a lot. So it's a, it's a good place to pick up techniques. Absolutely, man. Yeah, and that's that's the biggest thing is, like, especially me coming into this as, like, the greenest hunter, just to see – like your tactic, I remember talking to you last year and you were talking about your tube call. I haven't used one yet, but I'm going to use one this year. I mm-hmm. want to learn how to use one and, and try to implement that to my lineup. Yeah. And like when the way you talked about like locating birds last year when I had you on for the first time, I thought that was kind of fascinating. Um, but, you know, we are at NWTF this this week. Uh, I'd like to kind of jump into, you know, kind of the meat and potatoes of this podcast. And would first of all, I'd like to talk to you about cranky chronicles and, and your grandson cranky now what is what is his first name his name is ben, ben. and it's, it's so funny because he's went viral <laughs> and uh you know he was uh the first as soon as we walked in the door people asked him to sign stuff well he don't even know how to spell cranky his name is ben so they would hand him a hat and he'd write ben b-e-n and they would look at me like, who is that? And I said, dude, that's his name. <laughs> he can't spell cranky yet. You know, he's six. And, uh, but he's, uh, he's a cute little guy. And, you know, I, the reason I uh, – I mean, I was going to take them whether I filmed it or had a YouTube channel or not. I've taken all my, 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 my daughters and now the grandkids and all that. Cranky's just one of them rare kids, not just because he's my grandkids. He don't care if you're filming. He don't care – if he gets noticed or not, he's just being himself. He's very comfortable in his own skin. And which goes to, and I tell people all the time, 
uh, people like real. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, they just like real. And I call it guerrilla video because I'm not shooting any uh, – recreates or any heroes or interviews or stuff like that we're just kind of grabbing what we can Mm -hmm. which is a big task when you got a five or six year old but cranky's kind of captured everybody's heart man they're rooting for him so hard with this turkey thing it's uh, that's all i've talked about since i got here i mean you know the I, i did a hunt last year in nebraska we took the governor of mississippi the great phil bryant we took Becky Humphreys, the new CEO of NWTF, and we had Governor Ricketts from Nebraska. I called it the Turkey Summit. <laughs> and anyway, we got our governor there. He flew up on a plane with us, and Becky's there. And then the governor of Nebraska rolls in. He's got like three or four blacked-out Suburbans with him. He's got like four security guys. <laughs> and he jumps out of the thing, and I'm waiting there to greet him. I got some mossy oaken on. He sticks his hand out. He said, did Cranky get the turkey? That's the first <laughs> thing. I, and I like, I was in shock. He said, man, I love that stuff. So Crank, oh, Cranky's real popular right now. Well, I think one reason why is because, first off, he's better on camera than most grown men, 100%. <laughs> yeah. oh, he, and he, like, he – He's he shows real. his emotion, man. Yeah. He's, he was sitting there. I remember seeing one where he's like kind of pouting. I think y'all spooked a bird or something. You were like, are you mad at him? And he was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's like the biggest thing. It's like I, I love enjoying watching any kind of footage when someone's comfortable on camera. Because when you can tell someone's on camera and they're not comfortable, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I just don't enjoy it. Yeah. And like watching him and his emotions, like you said, and like how much he's, you know, from the highest to lows of hunting, his personality, I think a lot of people can connect with it. Like, oh, man, it's awesome. Like, he's having that much fun. Because most kids his age are not doing that. They're, they're, they're not – like, you bring a camera out, they're shying away. They don't want to do anything like that. They don't want to be in the spotlight, even though – I mean, does he realize how much in the spotlight he actually is? I don't think so. You know, he he, he has to be picking up on it a little bit. But uh, it, it's just – I mean, he's he just kind of in his own world. He's a great kid. He's real polite and all that. And – it's no big deal to him. I mean, there could be people like yesterday at the booth making a big deal over this and that and this and that. And he looked at me and said, "Pop, look at this call I just got right here." And he he just <laughs> yeah. he's just he's he's a good kid. And like you say, being comfortable is uh, what makes great TV personalities. Is mm-hmm. you know that just don't care. You got to be yourself. If you worry about what other people think, you're going to always be terrible on camera. Yeah, if you think of who could be watching you through the camera, even though it's not live stream mm-hmm. for the most part, unless you're doing that, that's when you stress out. And I've seen so many people that I thought would be great on camera, like just friends of mine that I'd film yeah. while we we're doing hunts. I thought they'd be great on camera. I put that camera on, and they're like, they just oh, yeah. tense up and they just oh, yeah. don't want nothing to deal with it. And then you put the camera away, and they're funny, and they got you know awesome yeah. personality. You're like, man, where was this? Yeah, ten minutes ago. But it's like it, it takes a certain person to be able to do that mm-hmm. again. But definitely he has it. You know, Cranky's funny, he's hilarious, but he's also – the one thing that I've really enjoyed, which we talked about a little earlier, is, you know, kind of seeing his progression, you know, from, you know, starting out with you, like you said, when he was five, five years old. Five, yeah. God, man. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't go hunting for the first time until I was like nine. And even that, it was like I felt bad for my uncles because oh, they man. were the ones taking me. I got pictures of me shooting a little recurve bow when it was – I, like right before I turned three years old, mm. I was like, because I never really knew like how young I was when I got into it. But I found those pictures. I was like, that's pretty cool. Well, Cranky's but, older brother, Matt, and their cousin, my other grandson, Walker, it came real easy to them. They both killed turkeys when they were five. Mm-hmm. They both killed deer with crossbows when they were five. Oh, man. And uh, I didn't let Cranky hunt when he was five. For deer, he was just too little. Yeah. 
and he was a little apprehensive about that, even that two, two, three. And the worst thing you can do is give him too much responsibility or too much pressure. You want it to be fun. But uh, you could tell, like last year, I was watching him, and he'd be around his brother, Matt, and his cousin Walker, and we'd all be like outside doing something, talking about hunting, and, and Cranky would just kind of drift away. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to cry because I knew he didn't, he wasn't in on that conversation because he had nothing to talk about. So my whole life's mission this fall was to get him a deer, which he did. Boom, he got one the, the first week, you know. Mm-hmm. And didn't he and, kill a pretty good buck? Oh, he did. He killed. Yeah. Uh, he killed. We were going. He killed a doe, which was that was epic. He made a great shot, and then he kind of came out of his shell. He would. He had a hunting story, and then we were checking trail cameras. My farm's not gigantic by any stretch, and I was like, "Woo, there's a nice deer." And Cranky's looking at that deer, and I said, Cranky, you want to hunt him? He said, yeah, let's name him Craig. I'm like, where, where did that come from? And Craig. Like, no, he just looks like a Craig. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he was able to. And here's the deal. That that hunt right there was divine intervention. It's I got an area over there, and it's a kind of a V-shaped food plot. It's a big open lane here and here. The shooting house is back here, and there's a feeder down there about 200 yards on the end of those trees, and I had pictures of him there. So I took Cranky over there, and I was like, we'll get an encounter. I just want him to see the deer because I figured he'd come out. Mm-hmm. Well, lo and behold, Craig comes out 18 steps from the shooting house. <laughs> I have, I've been there 12 years, never seen a deer come out there. And anyway, Cranky's asleep. And uh, so I got to wake him up, and this big 13-point is right there with a big old mature dose. I mean, it was the most intense seven or eight minutes I can ever recall. But, you know, Cranky, when he when I got him up and got him stood up, there's a little deer activity over here, and the buck swung his head that way, and that was my opening. And I got Cranky up and the big doe and the buck right there, and I looked, and he had his scope, which was cranked up, on the doe. And I said, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> so I moved the gun, and, man, he just he, he shot that big old buck, and thing ran 50 yards, and we found him. But after that, he immediately started talking about turkey hunting. I mean, that's he, he killed the big buck, and it wasn't that big of a deal. We went hunting seven or eight times, but the turkey thing imprinted on him because we kept going back and back and back. And this turkey's like, I don't know, 10 minutes from my house in a terrible place, a awful swamp. And he's got two running mates with him. He's just one of them turkeys that if you if you call to him, he'll answer you, and he'll get to about 100 yards, and he stops. I've, I've, I've encountered that a million times. And I tell Cranky, hey, look, let's go somewhere else. Let's go to Toxie's farm. Nope. I want to go hunt the devil. He called him the devil turkey. Yep. <laughs> and every – look, we went in the after – and I, I'm, I got a pop-up blind because at this, at this point when we're hunting, Cranky's five. He's little. I got a – shooting pod to put his shotgun in and all that so I, I got my hands full i can't just crawl get up and move it's it is what it is and uh we went back we had literally probably 50 or 60 hours on this turkey it was unbelievable saw him two or three times had him killed one morning and, and i think cranky spooked him when he moved his gun but he uh he literally would not go to another spot i said look I can take you to Texas or whatever. Nope, let's go hunt the devil turkey. Let's go hunt the devil turkey. So we're we're going to hunt him again this year. And I bet you I've had no less than 200 people ask me, you know, are, are y'all going back after the devil turkey? And I'm like, yeah. There's a, I mean, you don't know if it's the same turkey, but there's three turkeys in that same spot. 
So I'm assuming one of them will be him. Yeah. But I think there's more people looking forward to that than they are keeping up with the wall and Trump. I mean, they are just <laughs> wearing me out about, man, y'all got to get that turkey. So the pressure's kind of immense on me. So now, when, awesome. it, when it comes to that, what what do you think got Cranky so, I mean, addicted to turkey hunting? I, you know, I don't know what it is. He he likes to deer hunt. He loves shooting that crossbow and all that. But, you know, turkey hunting can be real addictive. The other ones like that, too. They love the calling aspect mm-hmm. and the, like, moving that blind. And like, they like to be active and stuff like that. And he didn't like the sitting in the blind. But he didn't want to sit down when I had my other ones. They were, a lot of times, they would, like, sit between my legs and use me for the tree. And I could do that. But mm-hmm. Cranky was just too small for that. But he loves painting his face, and he loves fooling with turkey calls. He can run a box call now and that push button like crazy, and it just clicked with him. I don't know what it was about it. He loves being outside. He don't like being cold a lot, so I think springtime's got a lot to do with it. And he's he's been raised around that lingo, and it's kind of his comfort zone. Yeah. You know? So I think he just enjoys it. Yeah, we've talked to a lot of people about – like getting your kids into hunting and i've heard a bunch of times that turkey hunting is always a great avenue because it's not cold you can move around you can make some noise you know with the turkey call and you're not you know sitting in a blind or something well it's more active too that's the biggest thing that's one thing i liked about it because again when i started out turkey hunting we were literally sitting under a tree on a green field for hours just doing blind calling and like just hoping birds would come through and i just it was not for me but like when we started getting to a little more public land hunting, chase after some birds. That was when it, I got addicted to it. Yeah. I got fired up. But, like, for a kid, you know, I talked to you, cuz, about this, I think, last year, about, like, how you introduce your grandsons into hunting and how, you know, they're still pretty addicted to it. Where, like, I gave an example of, I've, I've got an uncle who's got three kids, and he started taking them hunting when he was young. But put them more on the deer side and sitting in box blinds and stuff and like that. And they'd kill some deer, but they're just, they're not, addicted to it like i don't know if they even went hunting once this year because yeah. they just didn't want to they want to play video games the oldest one's uh 14 15 years old youngest one's nine and they're just like you know they don't know well i mean that's do. a synopsis of what's wrong with with hunting in general <clears throat> everybody thinks and we're going to talk about this i'm on some kind of panel discussion today about the future of hunting and people think it's, uh, you know, it's lack of access, lack of habitat, anti-hunters, anti-gun people. It's not. We're in a battle for time. I don't know if we talked about this or not, but millennial people, you know, here's the typical scenarios. The husband works, the wife works. They got two or three kids. They do soccer and baseball and dancing and all that. There's no time for hunting. So there's the, t- hunting takes a, a, a big chunk of requirement of time. When I was little, we didn't have all that stuff, and hunting was our recreation. Now, we played baseball during the summer and football and all that kind of stuff, but it was just kind of everybody did it. Well, like now, when Matt or Cranky come home from school after they killed a deer or something, I, I remember asking, I said, you tell everybody at school? Nope. Well, why not? None of them hunt, Pop. They don't care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that peer pressure when you're young is immense, and maybe they don't want to talk about hunting because – their buddies don't do it. They don't want to get made fun of. So it's, to me, it's a it's a battle for time more than anything else. So, I, and I'm not to be honest with you, I'm not sure how you win that battle. I'm not even sure how you attack that battle. The, I, my recommendation is the best ways to do it is the food thing. You know, there's so many people wanting good organic meat and stuff like that, 
and QDMA is doing a great job of, of preaching that message right now, but it's more of a it's more of a time issue than it is anything else. And people tell me all the time, you hear them say, take a kid, take a kid, take a kid, and that's do. I do. <laughs> Trust me. I have, I have done my part. But I tell them I would rather take an adult who's interested in it because, yeah. you know, number one, if you get that adult hook, they got a car. They yeah. can take themselves or they can teach somebody else. A kid can't do that. You take a kid and get him all fired up. Well, if mom and dad ain't doing it, he's, he, he's back in the dock. Mm-hmm. He he can't do anything about it. So I always try to – and people would love to live the lifestyle you guys and I live. They're just – especially guys, they're apprehensive to, to ask you. You know, Pete, there's a term called a wicker bill. People used to call somebody who was a bad hunter a wicker bill when I was little. <laughs> and people don't want to be a wicker bill. They like – it's like when you first get into growing food plots, you go to the co-ops like, man, I hate to ask this is a dumb question. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of whispering. Yeah. You know, so what we got to do as hunters is figure out, and I promise you the guy lives next door to you or down the road, he wants to do it. We got to figure out who those people are and take them. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's huge. And that's one thing, you know, going back to like the whole thing in school, I remember growing up in middle school when I first killed my first deer, I was like 12 years old or something. And I had nobody at school I could tell because no one else hunted. Mm-hmm. Like I had some friends, but that, like you said, kind of like what they, Matt and Cranky uh, were saying, no one cared because no one hunted. And it was one of, those, one of those things that it wasn't until high school I started having friends that were deer hunters, and then we started hunting together and this and that. Um, so I can kind of relate on that aspect. And then also when it comes to the time and getting someone new to hunting that's an adult, like you said, so many people focus on kids, exact same reason. If their parents don't hunt and you try to take a kid hunting, he has no more – he doesn't have another avenue to get out there unless you're taking them every time. Right. And if you can start introducing people that are, like, in high school, college, young adults, and even up until, you know, 30, 40, 50 years old, whoever, as long as they're interested, that's probably the best avenue. Because if you get one man or woman interested in hunting, take them out and they have a family, they're going to then want to introduce their family members into hunting, especially if they have kids, spouse, whatever. Um, and that's one thing we've noticed. Um, then it, who, who was that? We had someone that um, – Mr. Benny – or someone took someone hunting. It was an adult. Uh, took someone hunting. It was, it was a husband. He got addicted and started taking his wife and his kids mm-hmm. after that. Actually, yeah. it's a family friend of ours. And I had someone introduce him to hunting. He's about 35 years old. He loved it. Started taking his wife and kids. And now his his boys, who are like 14, 15 years old, they're addicted to it. And he's only been hunting for three years. Mm-hmm. And took him out there. Got him a deer lease and everything. That's what it takes. I, I've done it. I, I've seen it happen hundreds and hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, – my wife works for Moss Elk too, and she her, her 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 everyday job is dealing with what we call Moss Elk native living. It's furniture, licensees, home furnishings, accessories, and I've been dabbling in that world with her, trying to get next to these buyers. and And if one seems a little bit interested, we'll bring them in. I said, look, you you don't understand because people can be hypocritical when it comes to hunting. So I've I've taken more people through that and the 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 camping world and stuff and who has never killed anything and just seen the transformation. It is literally a life changing event when that happens. Mm-hmm. To grown men, I had one this fall. I took a guy from camping world who had never hunted before and he's running some of the new Gander Outdoor stores. I took him to Texas. He killed a nice buck with a crossbow at 35 yards and this guy I mean I, this guy was changed forever we talk on the phone like once a week now and he's teaching other people but that's the key is like you got to give up some of your time mm-hmm. you know it, it you can't just it, it ain't like golf you know you can't go get a lesson 
30 minutes for $30. You got to go kind of give up your week mm-hmm. or two weeks or something. But and they don't need a big jump start, but it's like that that's the key is reaching those people who are interested that have a driver's license, as I say. Yeah. Now, because one thing I want to talk to you about is when someone is getting introduced to hunting, you know, one thing I always hear is I don't know if I have enough time and I don't know where to hunt mm-hmm. if they're new. I know you cut your teeth growing up on public land. I've recently started to do that after hunting on a family farm, then switching to public just because there's more opportunity, there's more land. You know, what would you tell somebody if, say, they're they're listening to the podcast and they're maybe they're not a big hunter, maybe they're just maybe they just love fishing, they love hiking, they love yeah. camping, but they don't know where to hunt and what what to do. <clears throat> what advice would you give to somebody like that? Well, you know, there's always going to be people who will throw up an excuse because deep down they don't have the fire. I never would let anything like that get in my way. But if somebody says, I don't have a place, I tell them, you know, you can go to the QDMA website and they've got tutorials there on how to get into hunting. But I always tell them, look, find somebody you know that hunts and just ask them. You know, Mm -hmm. you got a place, where's the closest public land? The guy that I took with the crossbow thing, I pulled up like a hunting lease deal in his state, which was Indiana, I think. And boy, he found him a hunting club just like that. There's always going to be people who throw barriers in the way and, like, don't have that passion. If, if, if that's the case, you probably ain't going to win them over anyway. I don't, I don't think access is that big of a key. I mean, it, it may not be as productive to go out to the home of the National Forest as it would be to go to a hunting club that's got 10,000 acres with food plots, but you got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. I always tell them if you, if you find somebody that hunts, uh, with social media, there is no excuse for you not to make a post. Dude, I would love to go hunting. Anybody got yeah. an idea where I might could do it? Or mm-hmm. There's no way you won't get a response to that. Yeah. So I always tell them, find somebody that does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, even recently on all these turkey hunting pages that I know that all three of us are a part of, I see people asking that kind of stuff all the time. Like, uh, anybody got a club they would take me to or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or just the other day, a guy, I saw a guy had a really bad experience with a club and didn't get invited back for yeah. no reason, really. And some other guy, I think, gave him permission to hunt his 400 acres. Like, good people in those groups. Like that's a tremendous that's the, resource. A good part about social media. Some, some people complain about it, but it's really – that's a positive part of it, you know, and uh, the, you can, there's a lot of good people on there and there's a lot of people willing to help. And, you know, people my age are kind of in the twilight of their hunting, their, their hunting career, if you want to call it that. I'm always looking for those kind of comments and stuff like that and hooking people up together with that kind of stuff. So social media is really good for that. Mm-hmm. Well, cause I'd like to kind of jump into a little bit about uh, your background with Mossy Oak, you know, Everybody's always fascinated with Mossy Oak. If you're from the southeast, that is like the company, and everybody's just kind of interested in your background. How'd you get into filming? And I know we talked about this before, but we got a lot of new listeners that would probably love to hear the story. How'd you get into filming? How'd you get into Mossy Oak? And kind of like your relationship with Toxie and everyone else. Yeah, I'll try to, I'll try to give you the quick version. I, <laughs> I grew up in uh, Natchez. My dad was a lifelong military guy. <clears throat> and when he retired, from, he was a big fisherman, didn't hunt much at all, but when he retired from the military, he started. Uh, he was the sports editor for our local newspaper, and he also did a fishing column on Sunday. And it had a little hunting in it, roving around outdoors. And uh, so I was always outside, big time. And anyway, uh, later on in his life, I took that column over and started writing the outdoors column. And it got picked up, syndicated for a few more. But 
I was working in a sporting goods store when Will Primos was trying to do the first truth video. He'd already done a cassette, which was he did an audio cassette of a live turkey hunt, which was back then the most impressive thing I had ever heard in my life. He 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 had an audio, really good audio sound engineer going in the woods with him, and he recorded everything about that turkey hunt from the first red bird to the owl hooting to the calling. Boom, flopping in the leaves. And I would, I ran that cassette over and over and over. Well, I was buying turkey calls from Will Primos, and we uh, were uh, videoing with a camera my best buddy bought at Sears. And I was getting these turkey kills on thing, and I would send them to Will because I was using I said, man, look, we call this one up with a true double. So one day, Will, he show, and I'm buying calls from him. He shows up with his camera that's like big as this table. <laughs> he bought it at a TV studio, and he's like, you think you could film with this thing? I said, I don't even know if I can turn this thing on. But then <laughs> it, it was a giant camera with an umbilical cord that plugged to a recording deck that had a three-quarter-inch tape. Anyway, I figured out how to record with it, which took forever. Camouflage this thing up, wore the recorder on a backpack, Good had man. the camera on a shotgun sling. The camera here and the tripod was wooden legs with a solid lead head, which <laughs> had fluid in it. That's where the term fluid head. Just the camera and the tripod weighed 88 pounds. Oh, my God. So I, I put this thing on my back and then put that around my neck, and I filmed some turkey hunts with it. And actually, the first spring I filmed, I don't know, two or three. Well, the next year I was actually working for him. I filmed, I think it was 15 or 16 hunts. And back then, it, even if it wasn't that great of a video, it was epic because nobody was doing it. Gene and Barry Wenzel had a video out called Bow Hunting October Whitetails. But nobody had one out on turkey hunting, so it was an epic deal. And I, I didn't think that much about it. I was turkey hunting before I met Will. And I was just trying to figure out how to hide everything. That was my deal, was trying to keep these cameras hidden. And uh, so it was It was a lot of work. But anyway, that got to be too much. Will's company was in uh, Jackson. I lived in Natchez. I had two little girls. And uh, Anyway, and he kind of wanted me to move up there. Well, one of the trade shows I went to, it was the first show Toxie was at. Toxie Incorporated in, uh, I think it was November of 86. And he had a booth about 10 foot big at the shot show that year. And my wife saw him. She said, hey, there's a couple of guys over here that's got a camouflage pattern from Mississippi. And I went over there, and I'm telling you, from 100 feet, I saw that bottom man wrapped around this old column. He was like in a dungeon somewhere. He wasn't on a good <laughs> show floor. I was like, that's the best turkey hunting pattern i ever seen. So <laughs> went over there and met Toxie, and, you know, I was back at the sporting goods store doing stuff for Will, you know, kind of part-time. And I just went nuts with this camo pattern. I was sending pictures of it to my – dealer buddies i had a, a lot of friends in the business and and toxicology one day he said hey you're selling more than i am yeah <laughs> so i went to work for him there but any, anyway i kept filming because the thing about mossy oak and videotape you could film a hunt and show those people you'd pan the camera over there and you couldn't see them you didn't really have to talk about anything just look how good it looks mm -hmm. yeah. so it was just a tool for us to show other people dealers outdoor riders and the the filming thing just kept going i enjoyed it because i would take outdoor riders i would take the buyer from somewhere trying to get it but it, it kind of gave me a reason to be there 
without acting like I'm some kind of big-time hunting guide. Mm-hmm. I say, look, you mind if I go along? I'm going to film your hunt. And then they'd say, okay, you call. You know, it takes the pressure off for everybody. The video thing back then was huge because it, it helped us launch the, the business. But it was kind of accident. That's how I got started with Toxie. I was selling, trying to sell Mossy Oak and kind of filmed the stuff on the side. And one day he came in there and he said, he, he was, he, he's like, we need to have a television show. And you're the guy. Since I'd been filming with a camera from Sears and Roebuck, you know, and then went to a TV camera, he said, you're the guy. So I figured out, you know, kind of how to do it. Uh, Mississippi State, thank goodness, had a really good broadcast school. And I went over there and met the dean, and I was looking at their – they had a good school. And I was like, you think any of them people hunt? And he said, that big boy right there hunts. His name was Stephen Davis, and I hired him on the spot to come <laughs> edit. And we bought our own edit suite because Toxie and I – Toxie made the comment, and I and I I'd kind of brought it up. I said, we need to be able to edit and control it here because mm-hmm. hunting's a sensitive subject. We need to be able to – so we edited our first show, and we we aired on TNN. I think it was in 1994. And back then, it, it, you got to understand how big that was, because TNN all they had was rodeo, NASCAR, hunting and fishing, country music videos, and wasn't many shows. So we our show would air on Sunday nights at seven o'clock and Tuesdays. I'd get True Nielsen ratings, which were enormous. People would fall over and faint if they saw those ratings today. But we were we were actually sharing our stuff with millions and millions of people. There wasn't any competition. Wow. Sunday nights at seven o'clock, we'd have two point three million viewers or three point one or one point eight. <laughs> and uh it was so funny. Toxie, you know, it was very expensive. Now don't get me wrong. <laughs> Toxie was not scared to roll the dice. We had a giant year, he'd take that money and put it right back into marketing. Cause that uh that airtime was hundreds of thousands. <clears throat> And he'll tell you right now, the year that we aired on TNN and Browning took us on as their number one camel pattern, he says that's what puts the second story on the office building. That's when we <laughs> became nationwide. But mm-hmm. uh, truly, television back then, television was the catalyst that took Mossy Oak from this little bitty company in northeast Mississippi to, boom, nationwide brand all of a sudden. Wow. So it was, uh, it was quite a... I've got a unique perspective on all the media because I kind of saw it kind of be birthed back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, now it's all social media and podcasts and stuff like that. But in, in the beginning, it was all print and magazines. Then it was all television. And now it's all what you guys are doing. Well, I was going to say, you know, since you've seen the transition through all that, what is the avenue you see for outdoor media? I mean, do you see – Television still being the still being a big player in that. Or? Well, that that depends on how old you are. Mm-hmm. If if guy, I will guarantee you. Looking at you guys, neither one of you probably hooked to the cable. My youngest daughter's thirty five years old now, and they they don't have any kind of they do Netflix mm-hmm. and devices, and that's it. Yeah. And if you want to reach somebody that's not gray headed like me, you better be streaming your media somewhere else. That's why we just launched the Mossy Oak Go app. And, uh, I, you know, I don't even – I don't shoot anything for television anymore. Everything I shoot is for uh, Cuss 411 or social media or wherever it is because that's the, that's the future. I mean, the guys that are my age, they've kind of – we've kind of gotten them. They've already bought their Mossy Oak. And they got their <laughs> calls and stuff. So, yeah, I, you know, TV will always be a part, I'm assuming. I, I don't have a crystal ball. I can promise you it's nowhere near as relevant as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Not even – 
it's not even near the top of our list. We we got such a good young team, and their whole focus is this podcast, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and now we've got what I think is the best app out there. The, what amazed me about the Mossy Oak Go app, well, first off, not many people could 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 fill that thing up with content. We've been we've been building content since the early '90s, so I've got. I've got classic solid gold stuff with Tom Kelly and the Wenzels and Ted Nugent. We have tons of content, so we could start this app without any help from anybody. Number two, the app is flawless, and I'm an old guy, so I get aggravated real easy with apps. <laughs> this one works flawlessly, and now all these other it's done so well, we're getting all these other people on board, and they can get on their phone, and they and if they hear me talking about the coolest episode of TV ever made, they can go look at it for free. And, look, if you're not addressing that right there, you are not going to be relevant in the media world. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the, our whole world went upside down, and Toxie was, again, smart enough to see that, and he shifted all that budget into young people, more of this, and, and he's always been cutting edge like that. So, very proud of that. Well, that's one thing that – I've noticed that you guys are doing a lot better is with social media and do the marketing side. It blows me away when I see companies, big companies that are not putting money back into social media for marketing. Like I look at, I've talked a couple this weekend. I'm like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, not, not trying to be disrespectful, but I'm like, you guys need to put more money into it or just put more time into it because that's where it's at. I mean, that's why I wanted to ask you. It ain't ain't going nowhere. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm look, I got friends that are CEOs of companies and they'll ask me stuff on, and back before, I, I don't do the TV anymore. We got another team for that. Thank goodness. I did, <laughs> I did my time. But as recently as five, four, five, six years ago, you'd be at a potential sponsor. We had to have them for our TV show. And you'd be telling them, here's when Hunting the Country is going to air and this and that. And they say, oh, that's fine. What can you do for me on social media? Because we were starting ours, and they didn't have a plan for it. And you're right. I mean, if you ain't got a plan for that, Mm-hmm. You are you are absolutely going to get left behind. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not you know it ain't that difficult. I'm doing it, and uh, I mean I'm one of the old guys, but it's uh, it's truly where I get 99 percent of my information. I love podcasts, mm-hmm. and uh, I love Instagram. You know, yeah. so, and it, it's different strokes for different folks. You know, people my age seem to like Facebook, and I've learned I can post on Facebook for older people. You got to do it after five thirty or six. I think everybody on Facebook works, so they don't look at it during the day. <laughs> hey, it's just my take. Uh, Instagram, you can throw up stuff. I do a little bit of Twitter. Don't stay there much because it gets real political. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes Twitter can be a dark spot. But I do. You know, I do LinkedIn. I do all that stuff because uh, I still love sharing information and and being relevant in the industry and educating people and. Uh, it brings us a lot of business. I mean, that's why we're sitting here with StarCraft RVs on two different floors at the NWTF. Yeah. They're, on, they're on board because we know how to message and we know who our audience is. And they're here for their first sticking their toe in the water in this world and blown away. They're, they're having a blast. So, And I can say without any hesitation, we have a new family member for the NWTF in StarCraft because they're pretty aggressive in uh, social media as well. Well, I think you guys, that's going to be an awesome partnership for you. Uh, when y'all announced that, that was like back in turkey season, wasn't mm-hmm. it? And I, I saw it, I was like, man, that's, that, I think that, I thought it was like that could blow up, like seriously, yeah. in a good way. Yeah. Just because, you know, there's so many guys that are looking to get in recreation. 
you know, camping, hunting, fishing, whatever, traveling, and then ha- you be able to partner up with Mossy Oak for that, I mean, it just meshes together perfectly. It's uh, it's one of those things when you look at it, you go, man, why didn't we do that 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. Well, the reason we didn't, the RV business, number one, is much, much bigger than the hunting business. Number two, it's, it's never had a down year. It steadily grows 8%, 10%. So they don't need to market a lot. Their biggest job is keeping up with sales. They can't manufacture enough. Well, they've kind of they've kind of evened off right now. But I can promise you, I've I've been deeply involved with this project for two years now, and their customer and our customer is the same person. Mm-hmm. And the 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 key was how do we decorate that and to not make it over the top. And buddy, they got the best engineers, the best decorators, the best artists. And they did it so tastefully. And the only unknown going in was how would the general public react to it. Well, apparently they loved it. <laughs> it's, it's, they, they went from one floor plan to two to seven. Now there's 20 different floor plans oh in the Mossy wow. Oak. And uh, they're, the reason they brought their product development guy, and he's interviewing one person. That he's trying to, They're going to try to build the ultimate camper's edition for hunters. So that's pretty interesting. So it's new business. All that became a part of uh, because of social media. They understand we're reaching those people. And, uh, you know, the camping thing's real interesting because there's a lot of people, and I've been to like 10 of the biggest dealers in the nation, which was part of my deal for StarCraft. And a lot of those people are like love the outside. They can't figure the hunting thing out, but this has kind of got them close. Mm -hmm. They want to be outside. Yeah, I think I'd hunt if I could figure it out. So this is opening up a lot of uh, avenues for us to educate people about, hey, take it to the next step. You already got your RV. You know, let's learn how to hunt. So it's it's a perfect match. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And again, like you said, you'd hopefully be able to introduce even more people through that avenue because you could have a family or someone roll up at, you know, on the StarCraft dealerships, and they're there, and they're like, oh, what's, what's the Mossy Oak thing? Yeah. So they're asking questions, and then they start doing some research and everything else, and then it's just, you know, a roller coaster from yeah. there. So that's that's awesome. It, it's cool to see, like, non-hunting companies dabble in hunting stuff. Like, Garmin uh-huh. comes to mind, too. I've always thought that it was cool that Garmin is, like, an international corporation. Like, they, they sell stuff worldwide. They're hugely – like, they're well-known, mm. but they make stuff for hunters, too, like – and that's that's kind of you see a lot of companies like backing away from stuff like that. Yeah. And, and when companies step forward to kind of partake in our lifestyle, I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a new world we live in, and sometimes you have to be real careful. So that <clears throat> you know, when you uh, see somebody like Starcraft jump in, it's like, hey, they get it. They know where their customers are, and uh, at some point, you just got to say what you need to say and move on. So mm-hmm. I personally never apologize for. Uh, the the type of customers we have, the type of people that buy camouflage and hunting license and uh, whatever it is. It's like they're the greatest people in the world. I know that. I've been dealing with it for 40 years. And I don't let uh, a few, you know, if you just listen to the mainstream media, you'll get depressed really quick. But mm-hmm. I can promise yeah. you they are not the mainstream messages. So I'm very proud of the people that hunt and fish and basically carry this country on their shoulders every day through hard work. So when somebody like StarCraft realizes that, buddy, I'm going to do everything I can to help expose their brand Mm because they get it too. Mm -hmm. I introduced uh, Jason Poole last night, let him talk a little bit, and the first first thing he said out of his mouth was, you know, it's God's will that we're here in front of you people. We had no idea, and I was like (laughs) – 
dude, he gets it. Mm-hmm. So proud to hang out with folks like that. And that's what we need in this industry is, yeah. you know, people that are open-minded, that's willing to do stuff that's outside the box and outside of their norm. Because if you keep staying in your box and like some of these big companies that keep wanting to stay in their box, they don't want to reach out and try different things. That's going to hurt. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And like Mossoak's a great example of like you guys are branching out and doing a bunch of different things, which is fantastic. And that's the thing. You just have to be adaptable to what people want, what people are looking for, and what people are needing. And mm-hmm. that's huge. So for a company to be able to do that, especially as big as Mossy Oak is, that is, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I've kind of, <clears throat> you know, I, back when all the social media stuff started, I was like the typical old guy, you know, frown up and all that. And, and, you know, I was trying to teach some of the new people coming on how I did PR and how I dealt with writers and stuff like that. And I would get aggravated about they're, they're not as good with a, a personal phone call. They're not doing this. And I was kind of venting to Toxie one day. And he said, look, you got you to gotta understand. He said, they don't do business like you did it. But he said, they're doing business with people their own age. Mm-hmm. You need to react and figure out how to get in that loop. And I went, hmm. Once again, he was dead right. <laughs> so I've, I've kind of found a good mix on how to educate and share some of my knowledge different ways with the young wave because, hey, they're coming whether you want them to or not, and there's not as many of them hunting fish. So when I find some that are interested in it, I make sure I do whatever we can as me or Mossy Oak to make that journey easy for them. So a lot of that's going on at StarCraft, a lot in different places, you know, and we're we're – and that's one thing about Toxie, buddy. He will spend the money in conservation. Like I said, he had a great year. He'll dump it right back in there. So I feel like we're the official camouflage of conservation. Mm-hmm. I promise you, we we work to do that. We walk the walk as well as talk to talk. You don't get to be the official camo of the NWTF without helping them raise money. Yeah. It ain't because you're a good old boy, I promise. <laughs> so we, we're, we're doing all we can for conservation and trying to – uh, keep our messages where young people can find them. So we're committed to that because, like I said, it ain't going nowhere. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say one other thing, because uh, what what does this year look like for you guys? You know, what do you have going on, especially this spring, uh, you and old Cranky? Oh, yeah. And uh, if y'all have any other projects or anything going yeah, on this spring. On a quick note, my spring is almost a, a hopefully a carbon copy as last year except Cranky killing one. I leave for Florida February the 27th. Uh, we're doing a wounded vet hunt down there again. It's sponsored by the Florida Cattlemen's Association. And these are just big cattle ranches, and they bring these wounded soldiers in. And there's not an outfitter there, so we have to kind of go down and see what's what. <laughs> and I always take a bunch of hats and free stuff for the cowboys because I'm like, they know where the turkeys are because I ain't got time to go find. So they'll go show me where – Good places are to hunt. I think they roost there. So my first 10 days will be in Florida with the wounded warriors. Not wounded warriors, but wounded vets, which is, that's the coolest thing you can ever do. And all we do is try to guide for them, cook for them, whatever they need. And I love doing that. But as soon as I get back from that, the U season opens in Mississippi. So that's all Cranky. Now, Cranky can't hunt. It opens on a Friday, so he can't hunt that Friday. But I... And I'm telling everybody, and I would I would call BS on this, but I think the devil turkey and his two buddies are in the same spot. 
I put some trail cameras in there after deer season, same place, uh-uh. and there's three long beards in there, and one of them's the beard. It looks like a walking cane. It's that long. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the devil now. If he kills him, and I put that on social media, how do you know you can't tell a turkey from – I'm just telling you, I'm pretty sure the devil's right where he was last year. <laughs> and I'll say this, my good buddy Dwight Griffin, who owns that land and leases the rest, when I asked him could Cranky kill a turkey in there, he, he said yes, and – Nobody went in there. He he had three or four members, and they, he's like, it's shut down until Cranky kills the devil. Nobody turkey hunted there. Same thing this year. He's shutting it down until Cranky gets a shot at the turkey. But Moss Hill's got a lot going on. You know, we're moving forward with the, the Moss Hill Go apps going crazy, so we're we're producing content at a feverish rate. You know, with the, the Moss Hill Honor and the Obsessed series and the fishing mm-hmm. stuff. And all those are short content, social media stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And there's still a TV show, the Country Root show, but the short, the short form content is what we're focusing on. A lot going on with the NRA. We made that announcement. It shot Moss Hooks now the official pattern of the National Rifle Association. Can't tell you how big that is. Six point six million members. I'm a Patriot Life member. We had Colonel Oliver North in our booth making that announcement at the shot show, which was. Wow. You, you can't imagine what that meant to me because I watched him on TV. You guys weren't even born when he went through what he did for this country, and you should pull it up and look at it on Google sometime or YouTube. But having him say the words, Mossy Oak's the official pattern of the NRA, man, I got choked up. But, yeah, a lot going on, but I'm telling you, the the fever pitch at Mossy Oak revolves around short content, social media right now. And, and getting good messages out. You know, we still do the honor series, and that's that's about, you know, military guys, law enforcement guys, and stuff like that. So I look for more of the same. Well, fantastic. Awesome. Well, I know we're going to be uh, excited to see what you guys got going on for this spring. Yeah. Andrew, do you have any concluders? I was just going to say we've we've taken about enough of your time here. I know you probably got to get back out there, but I just wanted to say I can't thank you enough for sitting down with us. I can't thank y'all enough for what Mossy Oak's doing, and I think I speak for myself and a lot of people when I say that Mossy Oak is definitely a lot more than a brand for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. and we appreciate everything that y'all do, and we look forward to seeing what you keep doing in the future. Well, we would be nothing without the media. I tell everybody that Mossy Oak was built, back in the day, they were built on the backs of outdoor writers because they would write those articles and put those pictures up. We didn't have an ad budget, so what you guys do is a big deal. It's very important. And uh, I appreciate you asking me. And as my granddaughter said, for keeping me relevant in today's times, <laughs> I'm 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 very I'm very proud of that. So thank you guys. Well, because we appreciate. It. Well, for people that uh, aren't following you on social media right now, how can people find you on both Instagram, Facebook, and then yeah. also YouTube? Yeah, Instagram is easy. It's just Cuz Strickland, and uh, Facebook. You know, I'm still figuring that out. I've I've got a uh, I had a Ronnie Strickland Facebook page, and it. Once you get X amount of numbers, then you can't get any more. So I have a fan page that's Cuz Strickland on uh, Facebook. And then the YouTube stuff, is, which is my favorite, you just go to YouTube and punch in Cuz411. But if you look, do me a favor and subscribe while you're there. I don't get a ton of subscribers. I get lots of views. <laughs> but subscribers <laughs> is what I need to make sure, hey, it's worth the effort. Because it's still a lot of effort to put oh, all yeah. that stuff together. But you know, I got to where when I put it on YouTube, I'll just copy the link and I'll throw it all over these Facebook pages and it gets a lot of – that's why Cranky is gone viral. 
So, anyway, yeah, it's uh, Cuss Strickland on Instagram and Facebook and Cuss411 on YouTube, and thank you for asking. Not a problem. And also the Mossy Oak Go app, people can find that. It's free. You can go to you can go to the app stores, M-O-G-O, all capital letters, M-O-G-O. Click on that. It's free. And uh, I'm telling you, it's the most – it's the most user-friendly app I've ever seen. As soon as you hit it, it's, it's giving you options of turkey, deer, classics, old stuff. And I'll promise you the old stuff's getting more views than the new stuff. I bet, uh, yeah. It's, no it's not even close. <laughs> awesome. Well, again, cuz, we appreciate it, guys. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Give us a like and give us a review. And hope you guys have a great day. Hey everybody, this is Kyle Veet, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.